There's a rush on the part of many children to grow up. They want to grow up so fast. They don't want to be babies. They want to be big kids. They don't want to be kids. They want to be teens. They don't want to be teens. They want to get past that part. They want to be grown. We're getting to that. We're getting to the bills part. Jesus put a child in the middle of the disciples, and he said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. What on earth is he talking about? Okay, how many of you rolled your eyes and did not do what the kids, any eye rollers here? Yes, okay, I see who you are. Um, anybody enthusiastic about that, about copying the kids? Yes, okay. Juanita Devon. The enthusiastic game players might have a spiritual head start on us this morning. They just might be the children at heart who have cracked Jesus' code. Stakes are very, very high. Entry into the kingdom of heaven is barred for those who do not change and become like children. We're going to back up and read the whole passage. It's found in Matthew 18, starting in verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a child whom he put among them and said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever becomes humble like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. So the disciples had argued amongst themselves as to which one of them was greatest. They jockeyed for power amongst themselves. Kind of sounds like a playground argument. Kind of sounds like an office intrigue. Kind of sounds like a lot of shows, the show Empire, the show Succession, sounds like the makings of a good show like that, where different factions and alliances battle it out. Some people really, really want to be on the top. Who is the greatest? Well, some people don't want to be the greatest because realistically that might be a little bit beyond their capacity, but they want to be greater than the person right next to them. You don't have to be the fastest runner to outrun a bear. You just have to be faster than the slowest person. No one wants to be at the bottom. The disciples knew they were on management track because they were in the training phase. They had put in the sweat and hard work and discipline. An itinerant life is really hard, and they'd been on the road for three years. They'd paid their dues. They expected to be rewarded when Jesus set up his kingdom of heaven, and they could be forgiven for thinking that the kingdom of heaven might start pretty soon here on earth. But there were 12 of them, and not all of them would have first place of honor. We have lots of ways of climbing to the top. Money, title, family name, position, power, fame, success, these things are drivers in our society. There's a stigma attached to the person who doesn't have at least one of those things. Those people are discriminated against. 
and there is favor given to the people who have the most. Now this week we have had an ostentatious display of wealth and power and status and fame, all of the jewels, the gold, the glitter, the over-the-top clothes. Yes, this week the Met Gala was off the hook. Or did you think I was going to say the Kentucky Derby off the hook? Or did you think I was going to say the coronation of King Charles III? We've had three lavish displays of wealth fame and power in one week. And I love it at the top. It's the very best part of the hike. When you've passed through swarms of flies and vertical inclines that make you catch your breath and narrow crumbling trails, the sun has been beating down on your neck, well the top makes the sweat and pain worth it. At the top, you have less to worry about. It's less crowded. It's beautiful at the top. You are beautiful at the top. It's no wonder to me that, that the disciples were having that discussion of which one of them would be the greatest. This is a normal, human, ongoing subtext in the way we organize our society. So the disciples naturally asked Jesus, well, who's the greatest in your kingdom? And Jesus called a child and put that child in the middle of their huddle and said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like a child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Do we catch a glimpse of the dissonance between the conversation that the disciples were having and Jesus' response? They're talking apples, and Jesus doesn't respond with oranges, but he might as well responded with a unicorn for all the sense it made in that conversation. But this is what Jesus does all the time. If you're reading the Gospels like a normal person, Jesus not only does not answer the question posed to him most of the time, but he often takes a wildly unpredictable left turn off the road and you end up in a meadow you had no idea even existed before. He does not follow a linear conversation path. He forces the questioner into an unexpected journey that blows up all of our assumptions. The assumptions here being that greatness is something very, to be very much desired. Unless you change and become like a child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, of course, Jesus isn't talking about the silliness of a child, but notice the strong language, change and become. Entrance into the kingdom of heaven demands change. There's something so antithetical about being an adult. Something about adulthood is so incompatible with the kingdom of heaven that nothing less than drastic change will do. Some people translate that word change as turn, to turn around, go in a different direction. And part of me and Roland welcomes this message because some adulting is so stifling to the soul. I spent three hours on Monday talking with my insurance company and different doctor's offices, three hours. 
And then I had such a flaming headache, I had to go to bed for the afternoon. Who here loves sorting out obtuse bureaucracy? Does becoming a child mean I don't have to hassle with insurance or paying the bills or chores or to be responsible or to eat healthy? I would love to put that part of adulting behind me. But no, Jesus is asking us to change the part of adulting that we most like, to change the privilege, the power, and the pleasure of being an adult, and specifically to change those things from using them to benefit ourselves to benefit others instead to change the independence of going where we want, of making our own decisions based on our own desires, of the self-determination of using our money the way we want to use it, the freedom of doing what we want, when we want, the pride of self-accomplishment. And I love all those adult benefits. I love using my privilege and power and pleasure for myself. Children have none of that. Look at the childlike quality that's in Jesus' mind that we must become in verse 4. Whoever becomes humble, humble like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Greatness in God's kingdom demands humility. Privilege, power, and pleasure are at the opposite of humility. And Jesus is asking us to change our power to humble ourselves. No one in our society has ever said that the way to be greatest is to instead of go to the top, go to the bottom, to humble yourself. This is the paradox of Christianity. To get far up in the kingdom, it would be necessary to go far down in self-denial and humility. To ascend far, it would be needful to descend proportionally far. Someone called it descending upward. It takes so much practice and discipline to humble oneself. It's so strange to our ingrained nature. It feels like I'm trying to walk upside down, but I find that I have an automatic reset button that unless I'm intentional about it, I automatically readjust myself to the right side up, taking advantage of, counting on, using my adult privileges, pleasures, and power, as if it's the air I breathe without noticing what I'm doing. One of the church fathers said that humility is the mother root, nurse, foundation, and center of all other virtues. And by contrast, he said that we must rid ourselves of pride, which is the root, the source, the mother of sin. We are to change our adultness and become like children. Oh, to be a child again. I've heard many 16 and 17 year olds wish they could be back in elementary school where life was simpler, where pressures were less, where they were happy, where they didn't have to think about tests and getting into college or becoming an adult. So let's think about what does it mean to become a child. I don't think Jesus was talking about innocence, but I do think he was talking about openness. 
about trusting God, for children have to trust their parents wholeheartedly. God requires dependence and faith that he will supply everything we need. And this is really hard for adults. We'd so much rather take care of ourselves. But God has a way of bringing us back to that childlike dependence at different stages in our life when life throws us a curve. Relationship-wise, health-wise, money-wise, job-wise. Could it be that those tragedies, those hard circumstances that we pray against, that are so hard to go through, are a gift from God to bring us closer to him in faith? A couple of Sundays ago, we were praying for miraculous deliverance from hard circumstances. But could it be God's way of bringing us into a childlike dependence so that he can fling open to us the doors of the kingdom of heaven? It's a child, child's place to trust. And maybe we have to learn again to say, Abba, Father, Daddy, everything I need comes from your hand. I am insufficient in myself for my deepest needs. I am utterly dependent on you. The biggest need a child has is for their parent. A child is hyper aware of their mom and their dad. They cry when they're being torn apart from their parent. They feel sad and anxious, missing their mommy. The presence of the parent assures them that everything is okay, that they are loved and cared for, that they are safe. Do we think and feel that way about God? that we need to dwell in his presence, that we crave connection with him, that we are bereft without him? Or do we do that adult thing of launching into our day, our list of things to do, providing everything we need for our loved ones with our computers and our hands and our phones and our work and our wallets? But a small child knows their every minute need for their praying, for their parent. And can we pray, Abba, I am tuned in to you. I am glued. My eyes are glued on you. Even when I'm running around, my body is tuned in to you. So I'm looking back and touching base frequently so I can see that you're there. I need your presence more than anything else. I was babysitting a three-year-old. He was playing in a park. It was a big space. There were lots of things for him to get his hands on, to climb, to swing. And at one point, I couldn't see him. So I walked around the playground equipment to make sure that he was still you know, in that area. And when I saw him, he was running in the opposite way from me, away from me towards where I should have been sitting. So I could see him ahead of me. And I was trying to call him and catch up, but there were so many kids and he didn't hear me and he rounded the equipment and he didn't see me on that bench and he stopped short and his shoulders sagged and he looked really worried. In the meantime, I'm still running to him, calling out to him and he finally heard me and turned around and we gave each other a big hug and I had to tell him, I would never leave you. I would never leave you. Even if I'm not on that bench, I am very, very nearby. So then he ran off to play again. That's all he needed, that assurance. 
This mini-drama lasted about 30 seconds. That's all. But it taught me a lot about becoming a child. Do we need God's watching over intimate presence more than anything else? Children know their needs, but adults, we have put so many protective layers between us and that need, so maybe we don't even recognize that it's so deeply buried. Layers of hurt and abandonment, layers of disappointment with God, layers of study and learning and sophistication, layers of cynicism and denial. Adults have many, many ways of protecting themselves from their need of God. But we can't get into the kingdom of heaven without acknowledging our helplessness before God. Jesus said one more specific thing about children in verse 5. Whoever welcomes such a child in my name welcomes me. Attachment to God's kingdom demands service in this world to the least powerful. Children are to be welcomed in Jesus' name. More, more literally, the Greek says, upon my name, on the ground or on the footing of the name of Jesus, they are to be welcomed. And how powerful it is that Jesus says, whoever, whoever welcomes one of these children welcomes me. His love and care for children could not be clearer. What happens to our own children is very important to us. What happens to other people's children should be very important to us. What an honor that we can welcome Jesus when we welcome children. What a responsibility. Jesus loves them all, and his standard of love becomes the criteria for entering the kingdom of heaven. Some African cultures believe that little children are closer to God, having just come from him. That the line between heaven and earth is so much thinner for an infant or a toddler than for adults. So that the more we know, the further away we grow from God. I think there's something to that. And Jesus put his finger on it right here. How hard it is for a king or queen to become a child. How hard it is for you and me to become a child. But unless you change and become a child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Our precious God, I pray that we would be able to peel away the layers that come between us and our need of you, that we would recognize our need of you. And I pray that you would meet us at that point of child-likeness inside of us. And that we would acknowledge you 
has our wonderful heavenly parent, our Abba Father, and that we would know we are safe and secure with you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask the deacons to come and join me at the communion table. Jesus was stripped bare on the cross. He hung there without clothes, without power, without an army to defend him. He hung there with nothing. He who had all the power of creation became nothing. And he gave it up. For you and me. Let's wonder together this communion day, this communion Sunday, at the one who had everything but became nothing out of love for you and for me. We're going to be led in a prayer for the bread by our deacon, Ren Baranaga. Wait, Ren isn't even up here. <laughs> Who's, what are you praying for? The bread. Oh, by our deacon, Christina Chavez. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for this gift that we benefit from daily. We thank you for this bread and the sacrifice you have made in love for us. And by your love, we know that the body's physical loss is our spiritual gain. And I pray that we grow in your love always. Amen. You would take your cup and open the bread portion. Jesus said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And our deacon Michael Keeling will pray over the cup. Lord, we thank you and honor you for your presence at the communion table. We pray for your blessing as we make this reflection of the final meal your son shared with those who would bring your world, your words to the world. At this time, we thank you for the sacrifice made on our behalf with the blood that was shed by our Lord and Savior. We pray this. We pray that your love will sustain and uplift us. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus took the cup that was on the table and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Drink of it, all of you. Precious Lord, we have taken 
your elements into our bodies as a symbolic way of taking you into us to mold us, transform us, change us. Precious Lord, take our hand and lead us. Help us to stand. We thank you for the communion day offering, the benevolent offering, which we also take on this day to meet practical needs that, uh, that are in our congregation, but also in our community, maybe even the world, Lord. We give out of generosity this benevolent offering too, thanking you for meeting all of our needs. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.